Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're we're back. We're back, baby. As we, as we throw things around the studio. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today. Let me just preface by saying this guy right here, we actually don't even know each other. Okay. So you guys are going to watch us get to know each other on film, on audio today. Um, Carlos Kramer, the roaring lion, uh, an incredible world renowned uh, uh, MMA ring announcer introduced me and this guy jason stewart is in the house ladies and gentlemen jason say hello to the fans how you guys doing that's funny how we got here and we were like we don't know each other because i get you know texts from people for different things and i just showed up and i assume we probably met somewhere and then you were like how did we get connected i was like i have no idea and then it came down to carlos kramer what i what i did it's so funny because in this in our introduction happened no more than three weeks ago Really? It was that recent. But did you say earlier that you had asked him for yes. an intro like a long time ago? Uh, a few months ago. A few I months said, ago. Hey, can you? And then he finally like, oh, finally. Here's yeah. the intro. Yeah. And, and so he shows up and he's out back and I'm letting him into the, to the studio. And he's like, I'm like, who connected us? I actually forgot. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I don't know. I, like, I had no idea. I just, you just said, show up. Can you make it this time? And I, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'll be there. So CEO and founder of Epic Fighting. Uh-huh. Epic Exotics, right? Mm-hmm. And your real estate organization is Stewart Estates. Stewart Estates. So this yeah. guy, entrepreneurship, family man, incredible guy. I'm a, I've actually been following you for years. Really? On Instagram. Oh, and that's so, cool. Yeah. And so that's and you what, didn't know I do upside down stuff on skateboards. I didn't, I didn't see. The, How do you not know that? <laughs> so this he's famous, apparently, which I just learned from uh, my videographer, Andy Cruz Productions in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he's like, you didn't know because it. And I, so he shows up and Andy's like, I've known Jason for 10 years. Yeah. So and he goes, you don't know that he's famous for ups, uh, handstands. On skateboards, <laughs> like riding around on a skateboard on a, in a handstand. It's so funny how that became my thing. So um, it, it was during COVID and Juliana Miller, who's now a famous fighter, won the Ultimate Fighter show. Yeah. And um, her and I have known each other for a really long time. She fought for Epic. She was the Epic fighting champ. And she just said, hey, um, let's set a day to just like hang out because every time I hang out with you, I have a ton of fun. I was like, cool. What do you want to do? I had just gotten a skate, my first skateboard at like 40. Like I knew how to ride them. Like I would ride people's. I found one when I was a kid and I had it until someone stole it, whatever. But, um, and so here I am like just gotten a skateboard and she's like, yeah, I'll bring one too, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, or maybe she was riding one of mine at this point. Like, you know, I got a free one from a, from a friend. I was like kind of sponsored. And, um, And so, yeah, we went and hung out all day having fun. And she showed me her little like handstand attempt. And, you know, she went like five or 10 feet. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I tried it. I did like almost as good as she did. And I was like, that's not bad for my first try. And I can't do like a static handstand. Like I'm, I can't just go up into a handstand. And so I can like kind of like walk on my hands for a while, but like the actual skills, I've never been trained. Right. And. I was like, that was fun. And then when I kind of fell, I was like, well, that's not that scary. And so two weeks later, I had it down. Like I had it like really, really good. And everyone's like, can you do that again? Can I take a picture of that guy? Get a video of that. And now I'm like one of the best in the world at handstands on skateboards. And so, yeah, but how does that at 40 years old, you know, cause at 40, we start thinking about falling, hurting ourselves. I don't <laughs> clearly because you're like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. If you fall, I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, here's the thing. 
I'm more worried about falling on a skateboard on my feet than my hands. And here's why. why? If, I, if I fall off of my feet and my feet slide out from under me, my head's going from six foot and a few inches, you know, the yep. height of the skateboard yep. down to the ground and I could hit and I could hit my elbow. Get. But when I'm upside down, my head's literally like eight inches from the ground. And so when you fall, it's, it's not far enough to, to really like hit your head hard. <laughs> I, I think I, I think we could argue that actually. <laughs> You're only a few inches away, so whenever you fall, it's like, oh, you land on your shoulder, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Shoulder on concrete at 40 years old, <laughs> not a big deal. Yeah, that sounds really good. Whatever you need to tell yourself, Jay. You know, I remember one time, um, my dad was riding this cool little scooter thing where you could like pump the back and make it go, and her sister was there at my house, and she's like don't do that you gotta be careful you gotta be care you we're too old like we we get hurt we don't and he was like all right you know yeah we're too old for everything we can't do anything and he just got kept going like rolling his eyes and you know now my dad's in the 70s and he jump ropes and we went like cliff jump he's jumping off into the water and stuff like that and you know my aunt is not in the, you know what I mean? Oh, geez. Hurt hips and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. that. interesting? And so I, I, I think it's mindset. Like, I, I just heard the statistic. I want to say today, 95% of people will never, ever sprint after the age of 30. What? 95% of people. Think about how many people you know over 30 that you could be like, let's run our fastest right now. It's like, they, they won't do it. Meanwhile, I got a guy in my neighborhood. He rides the solo wheel electric unicycles yeah. like me. He's doing like the bar star handstand, like, uh, you know, calisthenic stuff like me. He's in his mid sixties and he does sprints like multiple times per week. He, I'll show him a workout and then I'll come back and he's doing that. He's like, yeah, I'm doing those, that exercise you showed me like twice a week, three times a week. And it's like, he's not aging. This guy's like, like we're neck and neck when we sprint. You know what I mean? He's pissed off that I beat him. I'm like, I'm pissed off. You're keeping up with me, you know? And, and this goes along with uh, Jay is uh limitations, self-imposed limitations and the programming of our society. Absolutely. This is what this, what you're talking about. Oh yeah. You can't do this past 30. You can't do that. 40, no. forget it. Right. And, yeah, I, and, it, and it works the other way too. Like must be nice. Money doesn't grow on trees and all this stuff. Like, yeah. Okay, then you'll never have a Lamborghini or you'll never have that house you want or you'll never take that vacation you want because you're just, you're, you're limiting it here. Yeah. That's yeah. all you're doing. It's yeah. like, there's people not as smart as you. Like, I, it's not that I have better genetics. It's not, it's just, I keep moving. Yeah. That's it. Here's one of my favorite uh, stories is, uh, so I was a fitness trainer. I bought my first two properties as a fitness trainer. I was like, you know, I was into my senior project was on fitness training. I knew everything about it. So my senior project in, in high school, you know, you're uh, like 17. Yeah. I became a fitness trainer at 21 or at 20, bought my first house at 21, bought my second at 24. <clears throat> Number one, I still hold the record for Bally total fitness for the most training sold in a month, you know? So, uh, I learned that to be a good trainer, I had to learn sales. I had to learn yeah. follow up people skills, customer service and all this stuff. But one of my favorite stories is when I was first starting as a trainer, I kept taking, and I got really good at kind of looking at people and being like, that guy's about 10%. This dude's ripped. This dude's like six, you know, this girl's about, you know, 30%. We got to yeah. get her down to a 20, whatever. And so, um, there was this guy, he was in his sixties, like mid late sixties and he was pretty fit. 
And we had an electric one where you had to put their age in and then you took the pinches yep. and based on the pinches, it would tell you what their body fat was. And I was like, went to my fitness manager and I was like, this isn't right. I'm looking at the guy and he's not 22% body right. fat. You know, this guy's like 12%, 14%, you know, this guy's in shape. And I asked him, how often do you work out? He's like, and then, um, he's telling me all the stuff he does. I do hiking. I do this. I do that. And I go back to my fitness manager. My fitness manager's like, how long has he been consistently working out? I go back and ask him. He said, 21. He's like, I've stayed active. Like every yeah. day is active for me since 21. I've, I've never taken like two months off of working out. He's in his 60s since he's 21. My fitness manager said, put his age as 21. I said, really? Are you sure? I go back, comes out 12%. What? And I'm like, this is accurate. They're like, yeah, the reason why we put the age is because the bulk majority of Americans stop working out and they increase a couple pounds of body fat every year. So we take that into account. So the calipers are more accurate. Yeah. He's like, but if you haven't quit working out since you're 21, your body composition is going to be similar than when you were 21. And sure enough, 12% was accurate. You could, you could barely see a little bit of abs on the guy. Yeah. You could see striations in his shoulders. And I was like, I'll never stop working out. Yeah. It's That's the message. Like, Listen, the bottom line is we are, as humans, we're meant to move. Absolutely. We are meant to move, but our society, and I don't think we're going to get on one of these all this quick, but let's keep going. The society that we're in, our programming is, um, you know, is pro programming us to be sick, fat, oh, yeah. uninformed. Uh-huh. Right? That's Absolutely. All we're, that's all we're programmed. Yeah. Sick, fat, and uninformed. Yeah. Easily brainwashed. Easily. And, and, and no one's trusting their gut anymore. It's like their guts tell like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. But they're giving me this information. So I'm going to react off of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, your, your brain will be wrong a lot. Your heart will lie to you, but your gut never will. Correct. Your gut is, is right on point, but we forgot because it's, it's kind of woo woo. Yeah. You know, there's not enough science behind it. Right. It's kind of interesting. But if you read the book Outliers, there's tons of science behind yes. it. There's a whole thing about there's a whole thing about the gut. So they they did this experiment where they would take these playing cards and certain playing cards you would lose money. You had to put your own money to play. Certain playing cards you would lose money, and certain of the cards you would gain money. I don't know if it was like the spades you would lose and the hearts you would gain. Whatever the whatever it was, within like. 13 cards and they have you hooked up and a, and a um, thing that could tell how much you're fidgeting in your seat. It can tell your blood pressure, your um, heart rate and the, how much uh, sweat's coming out of your palm. So they have all this stuff that can like predict how nervous you're getting, how yeah. anxious you're getting. And they said that they noticed anxiety and nervousness within 13 cards of when the card came out where you were going to lose money. So your gut was already telling you like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Yeah. But it took like, 80 cards or something crazy before you actually figured it out. Oh, if it's an odd black card or whatever it was, I lose money. But your gut was telling you like way quicker than your logical wow. brain. And that's how it works. It also talks about how this guy who worked in a museum, they found this ancient artifact that was like, you know, 5,000 years old or 3,000 years old and they found it under the water and one and they were like, this is a huge, you know, thing and it's worth, you know, so much money. And the guy who worked at the museums just said, it didn't feel right. Mm. Couldn't figure it out. Didn't feel right. Later on, they did more tests and they realized it was a hoax. Someone had put it there like 
30 years before and tried to make it seem like it was like, you know, about like an ancient Greek relic or whatever it was statue or whatever. And it's like, our gut will tell us things that our logical brain and even our heart, you know, can, can be wrong about. And you know, it's like in the, within the last week at uh, my church awakened church, Mm -hmm. this exact topic came up. Did it about trusting your gut. It's crazy that we got on and we didn't, we didn't plan this guys. We, he and I were just, I was showing a mattress in the show. We didn't talk. Like I purposely don't talk with my guests ahead of times. I don't want to know anything. I want to genuinely hear. Have a really real expression. Exactly. I want to hear stories for the first time. So, but it's so, but dude, you're so right. And, and right now, especially and more and more every year, our society going back to COVID and this, that people know something's not right here. So many people didn't follow their gut. I was like, yes. I don't watch the news. You don't have to tell me anything about what's going on. I don't need to hear the stats. I don't need to hear who's dying and this and that right here is telling me BS. <laughs> hundred percent bs no and then my, my my best friend ali came to me he's like no you don't watch the news i'm watching this look here's it i got my parents in a house i don't contact them yeah. i drop food off at their door i disinfect the the whole bag and everything and i tell them they can't get it for x amount of hours until the the virus can die and this and that and he was like scared yeah. and he's a he's a logical reasonable dude he was just scared i was like it's because you're watching the news bro yeah. you're not following your gut right and then like Six months later, he's like, bro, you're right. He's yeah. like, they found out they're using the same footage in the New York as they are in Italy. And this is all a lie. This is, this is like, bro. And it's like, everybody's mad at each other. You know, everyone's like, all this hostility. You went surfing. You're a bad person. You're taking a walk on the beach. You're a bad person. It's like, for one, logic. Yeah. Like, no, you, if you don't, if you can't trust your gut. Just put together some logic. Like, how does any of it make sense? But if you would have trusted your gut, you would have known right away. Like, why? So, why are people not trusted? Have, have people never trusted their gut? Why all of a sudden is it like people are going against what their gut feeling is? I think we have to relearn it. When you're a kid, you know. Yeah. Animals know. Right. Animals will go right up to people and like them or not like them or, you know what I the mean? Instinct. Like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's our innate, like, you know, we've, we've evolved to like every, every animal has it, but, um, you know, you're put in a school system, learn these, this is what you're supposed to do. You're not following the rules. You are reward punishment. And then you're, you know, you get back to like, this is a a relearn. You have to relearn like a common sense thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like common sense is common sense is not that not common. That common. <laughs> yeah. I, I told my son today as he went to school, cause he's just like, he's, he has to have like two or three people following him around the school. He's a very special case. Like the most special case that the, that the school has ever had. And as he was in, le- way? in um, hyper aggressive, hyper impulsive, yeah. hyper uh, excited. Yeah. Um, you know, they were like, well, can you get him diagnosed for ADHD? And then the principal was like, you know, this is so beyond ADHD that it wouldn't matter. Like we have, so he has all of these different, uh, you know, he's, he's allowed to take breaks. He's allowed to, you know, go out into the playground and get his energy out and all this stuff. And he was crying yesterday because, um, so far they've just been like, good day. Today was a good day. And they're comparing it to last year. Yeah. And I told him today, I was like, I told him yesterday, I was like, your good day is not the same as the average kid's good day. Your good day is good for you. But if you sit in a class all day without two bodyguards following you around, it's not a good day. Like you're disrupting the class. The teacher can't teach, you know, whatever you're talking to them. And so, um, so it's, it's who you want to compare yourself to. Yeah. And so 
you know, he has this new thing where he has to get 24 marks as perfect. And, you know, passing is like 16 or something like that. Yeah. And, and he got barely the 16. And the day before that, he got 15. And I was like, look, go for progress. Go for 17. I was like, listen, they're judging you on stuff that you think they shouldn't be judging you on stuff. Mm-hmm. They're saying that certain things you're not doing well that you think you should be. It's like, it's your opinion against all of them. All of them aren't wrong. But here's what you got to understand. You're going to be more successful than all of them. Yeah. They know it. They've mentioned it to me. You have sell skills, negotiation skills, people skills. You build rapport with five-year-olds and 95-year-olds like that. Like you have all the skills. That, what, 10, that, 10 right yeah. Now? Yeah. I was like, you have all the skills that's going to make you successful. But you got to remember when you start a business, there's going to be things that you don't want to do. That you're just going to have to figure out. You're going to have to deal with these people so they can help you with the, the media side, or you're going to have to learn your numbers and do the accounting, even though that's boring for you. There's stuff that you're going to have to do to get out of your comfort zone. And so by you being able to kind of conform enough yeah. to get through a day is teaching you the skills you need to where you're going to have to conform enough in your business on certain things that you don't do. You're going to go close a hundred thousand dollar deal. And then you're going to come over here and sweep the floors because this dude, you know, didn't do it, but you have a meeting coming in and you don't want him coming in with the, with the floors dirty. (laughs) And so it's like, embrace this, look at it as you got a 16 score yesterday. Today, you're just trying to get a 17 or better. That's it. Don't cry Mm. because at the end of the school day, they're telling you that you didn't do great. And remember that when you come back and you show them how successful you are in whatever endeavor that you you want it to be, they're going to be like, we knew it. And that was all worth it to, to get him to, yeah. you know, be able to follow a little bit of rules, you know? Yeah. So, dude, this is a great, great topic here because I, that's just what I tell, like, similar to my daughter, my daughter, because she's like, oh, I don't like school. I don't like this. I'm like, listen, you just got to play the game. Yeah. Play the game. I told my daughter the same thing. I was like, it's not about if this information is needed or not for right. your future. It's about if you can figure out how to get a passing grade or an A in that class so you can graduate to go on to the next thing. Because yeah. if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to figure out how to do the thing that you need to do in your business. Yes. The, like these are formalities along the way yeah. that and not, not necessarily they have to do, but it, and it also teaches them that because in entrepreneurship, uh, Jay, we're, there's things that we do that we don't want to do. Oh, like we, like, I don't want to unload a truck, like for my business of yeah. incoming freight. I don't want to do it. Exactly. I had employees before I laid them off, went with a different business model, but you know what? I got to do it. Yeah. There's things that I don't want. So this is teaching them. Listen, there's some th- certain things that is maybe not in your wheelhouse and that you don't actually want to do, but in order to get to that next level, like you said, yeah. I love this. I have a bunch of exotic cars. And when my assistant can't come and get the car and take it and wash it and fill it up with gas and stuff, I'm like, oh, I really have to do it. But sometimes it's like the dude just booked it. It's two hours from now. He's all the way over there. You really have to have him drive all the way over here and do all that. And I'm like, the car wash was across the street. It's like, all right, I'll do it. And it's like, you know, you're doing what, but I'm not going to cancel this reservation for someone, you know, like it's got to be done. Exactly. Yeah. I love this. All right. So look look at, we already got off on a tangent. All right. So go (laughs) back. Where were you born and raised? Born in Charleston, West Virginia. When I was three months old, I took a flight to San Diego because uh, my dad, whenever my mom was pregnant with me, he left to San Diego and he wanted to become an attorney. Mm. First person on both sides of my family to graduate college. 
uh, failed the bar 10 times, didn't have a ton of uh, common sense, had some street smarts, not as much as my mom, um, but he had perseverance. Mm -hmm. So he was just like, he didn't even know about guessing on multiple choices. Like, you know, super common sense stuff like to me, but he was just like, no one taught me this. No one taught me that. And so, um, yeah, it took him 10 times to pass the bar, passed it. Uh, He was a fighter. He was defense attorney. So he was, you know, it, it, this, those skills and that yeah. mindset translated great. He was great at defending his clients and stuff like that. And so, um, but anyway, in that 10 years, I had already went back to West Virginia. So for three months, I was, I, or at three months, I was in San Diego. And then I, you know, she was doing a bunch of stuff that she shouldn't have done. My mom was a drug dealer and a drug addict. And oh, so really? depending on what was, you know, if her, if her addiction was bad, yeah, we'd be, poor if she had her addiction under control then she'd usually be selling more and we'd have some money and i'd get the new jordans and all that stuff so it was like but we were always on welfare and food stamps and all that yeah um and so she ended up going to the south bronx big business and drugs in the south bronx in 85 you know it was also the most dangerous place in america more higher murder rate than the wild wild west back when people would like in the bronx yeah the bronx south bronx in 90 in 85 had a higher murder rate than the, like the Wyatt Earp days, like back when they would just shoot each other out to solve anything. And, um, so it was like the crack was going crazy and my mom got in on it was trying like, I'm going to make them some big deals. And so I was there for like six months. I remember, I remember a lot of it actually. It was a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. I saw my mom get mugged. Uh, somebody took my mom up to an apartment and held a knife to her throat and I'm there and they're like, read this comic book and she's still cussing the guy out. And I'm like, uh, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> maybe you should shut up when he tells you to shut the F up, you know what I mean? And, uh, takes what money she has and pissed off that she doesn't have more. Cause he knows that she's, a, you know, supposed yeah. to have money. Then he leaves. And then if you stand up, I'll, I'll kill you. If you, if you, if you stand out of that chair, I'll kill you. As soon as he shuts the door, my mom stands up, paces back and forth cussing. I was like, uh, mom, you should probably sit down. Um, <laughs> he seemed kind of serious. And then she just said, open the door, look both ways, grab my hand. And I remember she's running as fast as she could and I couldn't keep up. So every now and then she's dragging me and my feet were dragging on the ground. Uh, she's like goes to the cops and she's like, he went that way. I go on the car. Hold on, ma'am. It's like, you pussies are scared of everything. You're scared of the criminals. That's why the criminals get away with everything. And she would always say like back then the cops are scared to death of the criminals. Yeah. Criminals had more guns. They were outnumbered, all this stuff. And so like a lot of memories like that. So at one point she was going to make a big deal. Things were getting dangerous. So she put me on a flight with my, uh, by myself. I'm five years old. I flew by myself from New York back to West Virginia and my uncle got me off the plane. I remember it's like one of those smaller planes that takes you from yeah. wherever the, cause there was a layover. I forget where. And then a smaller plane takes you to Charleston. So he came on the plane and got me off the plane and I lived with them for a couple of weeks. I was way too hyper for them. And they ended up, uh, putting me with my, um, other aunt, Kim, Kim and Butchie. And they had three kids. One of them was in my grade and I lived with them for three years. Never didn't see my mom or dad for three years. So hold on, hold on. So mom just sent you off. She sent me off, but it was supposed to be for two weeks. And in that two weeks, she got shot. She got shot. She got shot in her lung. And was this the same guy that came back? You think? Um, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Yeah. I How did you hear she got shot through through Aunt Kimmy? No one knew for three years. Three she, years? Yeah. So she was in a hospital for three years um, because when she went to the hospital and they're doing treatment for her lung and all that stuff, they found out she had AIDS. 
And when Shut you have up. AIDS, they put you in the top level and no one lived back then more than six months. Like when you went to the hospital and part of that, sadly, is the sh- shit they were doing in the hospital. And we know now. Like the, you think this COVID stuff was crazy. This stuff's been going on forever. We just were too ignorant to it. My mom knew about it. So uh, the, the, that movie with Matthew McConaughey, what's the movie called? Uh, the Dallas. Uh, oh, oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that movie talks about it and it's like, they're giving you the drugs that kill you and the Dallas buyers club. And yes. then the, and then the drugs that would help you, which they had right across the border in Mexico and all that stuff, they wouldn't give it to you. They wouldn't FDA approve it. And so a lot of people say it's because they were trying to get rid of the drug addicts and the homosexuals yeah. or whatever at a, at a fast rate. And now it's like, you can live forever with AIDS and HIV, right? Yeah. They could have made that happen way sooner. So, um, my mom was super savvy on all this stuff and there's certain drugs that she would refuse to take. So she lived three years where she said, I never had a friend. Cause you know, you have bedmates and bed next to you. It's like, I never had a friend for more than six months. Like I knew no one, no one on that, that level ever lived more than six months. And she's there for three years. She finally escapes the hospital, like with the IV in hand, realizing like, I'm never going to get better here. They're just like waiting for me to die. And this is what they did for people that had AIDS is they just keep them in a hospital. Yeah. They kept them at the top floor and you like weren't allowed to leave. So I went to visit my mom once towards the end of those three years. So from five, six, I was about eight and they said, we're, we're driving to New York. It was a 10 hour drive. We're all crammed in the back of this little car, me and my uh, three cousins and, and the aunts and everything. And we drive there and it was literally like you had to wear a head to toe suit with a mask, gloves, booties. You had to walk in, you couldn't cross this line and they say, do not touch her, do not get close to her. And I'm looking at my mom that I haven't seen for three years and she's like, come give me a hug. And I'm like, huh? And like, how confused are you? Like, I can't cross this line, I can't touch you. Like I would like, they emphasize that over and over. These are doctors and, and finally she's like convinced me to come give her a hug. And, you know, she was just excited to see me and crying and she's hooked up to all these machines and stuff. And so you fast forward, like, I don't know, several months later after that, she comes back and next thing you know, it was like a wild ride. I'm my, my friends called, my friends were really close with my mom because my mom had like, you could go to her with anything. She would never judge. Like, what is she going to judge you on? Yeah. Like, oh, Yo, you're smoking pot. Like, cool. Yeah. I do heroin. Like, yeah. what am I going to judge you on? And so, uh, so they were all really close with her. They would call her wild man Mona. Cause she was so crazy. <laughs> like she just quick to tell <laughs> someone off or like she did, she like didn't care what people thought, you know, both of my parents have that. So I think that's why I genetically have it. But, um, <laughs> then I was like living with my mom. It was like a wild ride. Right, like, hold up, hold up, hold up. So wait a minute here. You go back to visit her in the hospital. Yeah. And, and I think that's what gave there? her that. The hot, no, where we were only in the hospital for like an hour. No, meaning when, then you went back to live with her again. No, uh, then I went back with my aunt and then like, uh, I don't know what it was, it, a year, six months or yeah, a year or yeah. whatever. She gets out of the hospital. Ah. And so she went back with her mom. She was like, they say, I didn't see her. She didn't want me to see her at this time, but they say she was like 70 pounds. <sighs> When she got out, like she was really skinny. So she was like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to die in the hospital. So she left and she kind of like my grandma fed her back and like kind of got some more weight on her. And she yeah. started getting healthier when she left the hospital. That shows you what a bad job the hospital is doing. Right. Um, 
And once she got up to like 85 pounds or whatever. So I remember hugging her and like my arms would go all the way around her. And when, when I last hugged her, a, I was smaller, but also she was bigger yeah. and like my arms would never touch. So she was skinny for, for yeah. the first, you know, like year that she got out. So she kind of put on some weight and then I lived with her until, uh, yeah, until to the rest. So how did, how did that go? Like, what was that like? Um, it, it was crazy. I mean, I learned a lot from her. I, I, she would, she did not think the same as everyone else. She never told me not to do drugs, which was crazy. So I would see all the, this is one of the biggest, but like my mom would not win mother of the year by any means. Like all the drug addicts were at my house on the regular. I saw some crazy shit, but, um, because all the drug addicts were at my house, I would get to know my mom would be like, tell them about how you used to cheerlead. I'd be looking at this girl, like, tell them about how you used to play sports and tell, and I'd be like, they look horrible. <laughs> These people look horrible. And, then, and I'd be like, oh, really? How old are you? You know, I remember this one older, older. I thought she was 70. Yeah. I was like, how old are you, Gloria? And she was like, oh, I'm 38. And I'm like, oh my. She's missing all her teeth. And it's like, what? You're 38. That's not like you look 75. <laughs> like, and so the curiosity to do drugs left. Like, yeah, she was a cheerleader. This person was an athlete. This person was popular in school, went to all the parties and did God. all the drugs. Now they're like crackheads, you yeah. know? That's all you needed to see. That's all I needed. And and um, I've never done drugs in my life. I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I've never smoked anything. Shut um, up. No my way. mom used to get pissed because I'd have like a migraine or something and I wouldn't take an Advil. Like it, it would drive her crazy. Like, yeah. So um, it, it was it was a blessing for me that, that I got to was. see all of that. Yeah. Cause this is, this was literally like, and this goes to prove like parents, no, 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 no. That's all, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. She, she actually did the opposite. Didn't tell you no, but you saw the, the physical results of somebody. She said, weed, everything you're hearing at your dare programs at school, bullshit. No one ever goes home and kills someone uh, because they got too high. She's like, uh, no one's out there violent and this and that. She's like, weed doesn't do X, Y, Z. He's like, weed is 20 times worse for your lungs because it's not regulated. They don't have filters for it yet. So it's 20 times worse than a cigarette because a cigarette has a filter. And weed will make you lazy. So if you're like super ambitious and you're in the mood to get a bunch of stuff done, you smoke weed, you're probably not going to get as much done. That's it. Other than that, it's got all these medical benefits. This is way before anyone's talking about that. Right. This is when like weed will kill you. This is your brain on drugs. And they put weed in that category. I know. But just bad for your lungs, make you lazy, done. Next, heroin, best feeling in your life. 10,000 times better than sex. I'm like, hold on. Nothing's better than sex. I don't know. I didn't say better. I said 10,000 times better. I'm like, you're exaggerating. That's bull. Lately, there was a, a movie or later on, there was a movie called Train Spotting. That's how they start the movie. They said 10,000 times better than sex. And he said, she said, the first time you do it. And after that, it is amazing, but nowhere near the first time. And after that, it's almost as good as the second time. He's like, but your rest of your life, you're, you're chasing, chasing the dragon. That's mm -hmm. what she called it. That's right. And so you could be off of it for 10 years and your brain will be like, but remember that first time. And then you'll be tempted to do it again. So she struggled with heroin her whole life. Right. And then the opiates came out and then people started doing that instead of the injection. Well, then they started injecting the pills too, which was crazy. But a lot of people would snort them and stuff like that. Um, and so she went through it. She's like, 
whoever tells you that acid causes brain damage, they're full of shit. Yeah. She's like, I was, I, I dealt acid. I sold it. She's like, it was on my fingers every day, absorbing through my skin. I would trip every single day for years. Yeah. Putting them on the little paper tablet so that people could put it on their tongue. And she was like, you're not going to go clinically insane, you know, this and that. And I was like, really? Because acid is the one they're talking about, like, you know, fries your brain, this and that. So she would just tell me all these pros and cons about all the drugs. And to this day, I've no, like, I'm curious about mushrooms and psychedelics. But at the same time, I'm like, I only want to take stuff if it's going to enhance me. I'm like, right. I, I don't need it to party. I Correct. can dance and party like 100% sober. Like, I'm good on that. I can be the life of the party. I'd, I'd rather, you know, do the backflip off the yacht while everyone else is too drunk to to do that type of stuff. Uh, but if it, if it can create more neural connections and make mm. my brain work better without yeah. having side effects, I'm curious. I've just never done it. Like, I don't want to mess anything up either, but. You know, wow, what a, dude, what a story this is already. This is crazy. This is fun. This is all right. So, all right. So, hold on. Now you're about, I don't even know, 10 years old. Where are you at with mom now? Yeah. So, I get back with mom around eight and a half or so. But this isn't back in the Bronx. This is now back in this West Virginia. This is back in West Virginia. West yeah. Virginia. Okay. Poorest state in the country, West Virginia. Uh, highest obesity, highest smokers, highest undocumented uh, crime and murders. Um, West Virginia. West Virginia to this day. To this day, yeah. It's the anytime there's a drug addiction. So the people from New York, they make money by going to places like West Virginia, where they have like the high concentration of addicts. So there's a lot of people from New York that that came and kind of moved to Charleston. They were like the the home base for there. And then they would go back and forth to the New York people to get the drugs. But um, so whenever there's an oxycontin epidemic. It start if you look, there's tons of documentaries on yeah. it. Uh, the Oxycontin epidemic documentary. It started in West Virginia. The the new heroin epidemic, which is like kind of the latest one. Heroin's making a comeback. Is it really West Virginia? Back when it was really bad before in the 80s, uh, early 90s, West Virginia. Um, the oxycodone <laughs> epidemic. West Virginia created the the harshest laws in the whole country. It was like 50 years if you got caught with oxycotton because it was such an epidemic there 50 years in prison if you get caught with oxycontin it was like some crazy ridiculous amount didn't help at all like you know because the oxycontin <sighs> epidemic so the the drug epidemic is always worse there first in west virginia yeah west virginia oh so i'm growing gosh. up in charleston west virginia and i i moved to this new uh place and it's like you know, it's, we're in the hood. We're in, we're on the East side of Charleston, kind of by the Capitol. It's so funny. Cause we were the first state to have a gold plated Capitol, but like all around the Capitol was just slums, like the poorest people <laughs> in the world. And so, um, I'm in that neighborhood and like kids out there playing with jump ropes. And then these girls like hit me with a jump rope and I'm like, you know, it hurt. My fingers hurt. It. Like it hit me in the hand and I'm like, I'm trying not to cry. I'm like, Oh, don't, don't show weakness. And they were like, go ahead and cry. Go ahead and cry. Like you little, I'm like, Oh, and I walk in the house and my mom kind of saw me and she's like, I got to get this kid in martial arts. Like, you know, so that's, that's what started my martial ah. arts thing. My first day on the bus, some little kid who was like, you know, I must've been in uh third grade and this kid was probably like kindergarten or first grade, but he was like this, this hard kid from the neighborhood. And, uh, he just walks up and just slaps the shit out of me. And I'm looking at him like, I can't hit this kid. He's smaller than me. And everyone's like egging him on. And I'm like, that's my first day on the bus. And this dude's just slapping the shit out of me. And I'm like smiling and kind of laughing at him. And I was like looking around, like, 
because he's friends with the bigger yeah, kids. So yeah. I'm like, if I do something, these kids are going to jump in. And I was like, thank goodness my mom got me into martial arts. Like, you know, because later on, it was like, it, it helped a lot um, with just confidence. Yeah, and then yeah. when shit went down, I, I, I knew some moves. But um, what was the first one she got, got you into? Taekwondo. Taekwondo. That's what my son's in. Yeah. yeah. Taekwondo. Yeah. Taekwondo. And then Aikido. Aikido mm. helped a lot. Like we, I learned a few throws too in Taekwondo, um, which helped. I remember a fight that I got in. I did like a headlock hip toss throw to the yeah. ground and da. And then those kids that I fought, I fought three kids. Um, they ended up becoming close friends. A couple of, no one way. of them. Well, see, mo that's another thing that sucks. Most of my friends died from growing up. So out of like 30 of us from my neighborhood, there was only like, a handful that made it past 30 For, because of drugs drugs some got murdered one kid got thrown off a bridge and we i mean everyone pretty much knows who did it and there was big rewards to find out who did it no one ever you know this actually there wasn't rewards i think that was a problem there was they would spend money on billboards saying like you know if any information but they if they just put like a reward because the crackheads will do anything for money and they usually know what's going on on the street and this is west virginia mm-hmm yeah i i am I'm, my one friend uh paul got in a shootout I, with the i'm, I'm like I do, andy are you in on this west virginia thing you would my, think this is like south central compton what do you what do you what do you see on that there? most people don't make it out of the neighborhood alive <laughs> oh. west virginia yeah so um yeah i had one friend that uh had drugs in his car and the cops went to pull him over it turns into a high-speed chase and then he's like, I'd rather die to go to jail. And so he gets out of the car with guns and he just starts shooting at the cops back and forth. And the cops are like, well, we have no choice to kill this kid. And he was such a cool kid, too. Um, wow. Yeah, that, so this was like a regular occurrence that. that yeah. I mean, I left at 14. So, um, I mean, I had like one, like it, it sucked because ever to this day, whenever I see a 304 number pop up on my phone or if I see one of my aunts calling. I already know someone died and I have to kind of like, okay, am I ready for this call? Like, you know, breathe. Who's with me? Who needs to see my reaction when I find out who dies? And 90% of the time it's like, remember your cousin Eddie or, you know, remember your best friend, Chad, that you guys spent the night at each other's house every day. Like, you know, it's like uh, your friend, Jeremy, who, you know, who's like, these, these are kids where we like, Especially like me and my poor friends, because like we, there was a point, you know, it's very, it's, it's funny, the poor neighborhood you live in, the more embarrassing it is to be poor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you go to a rich school and you get free lunch, no one cares. Our school, 60% of the kids got free lunch and a more, more got reduced lunch and we, kids literally would sell drugs so they wouldn't have to say free lunch shut up they would sell drugs so they could pay for their lunch because it was that embarrassing you had to have the new the new jordans the new pumps the new shacks you had to have name brand clothes it's like everyone's here is poor but it's just like it's it's more embarrassing for some reason That's it's like weird. yeah and so um but at one point i remember my friend jeremy was like he had figured out that I was on welfare, government cheese sandwiches, you know, government bread, all that. He's, he saw around the kitchen, you know what I mean? And then at one point I, I never forget this cause you would just deny it. Now I bought that off of someone. No, the, the poor, because what poor people do is they'll get the stuff and sell it. Or like, if you have food stamps, you sell food stamps, 50 cent on the dollar. Yeah. So my mom used to make us go in with a food stamp and there's every half a mile, there's a liquor store. 
And me and my friends would go in and buy a five cent piece of gum, get 95 cents back for the, for the, uh, food stamp and then go again to the next door. You know, three or four of us all go buy a five cent piece of gum, 10 cent, whatever you get to keep it. That was the thing. You get to keep the Jolly Rancher that's five cents or whatever. So we do that for three or four, um, uh, bars you know, in a row. It was basically like seven elevens and go marts. Yeah. So every, every half a mile, there was a seven eleven or go mart. And then she would take that money and put gas in the car. And so if you had food stamps, she would be like, Oh, I bought that off of someone 50 cents on dollar. Cause it's smart. Cause I want to buy food. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause you know, you would, there was a trade always going on between food stamps. But my friend Jeremy was like, AJ, them government grilled cheese sandwiches good as shit. Ain't they? And I was like, I'm not going to lie. They're good. And that broke the ice where we both had that realization where it's like, I know on. that, you know, we're both on it. Like we're cool. Um, and we started just like making jokes about it after that, you know? And what is the government cheese sandwich? Cause I remember hearing comedians. It would be like a block of cheese. Yeah. They give you like a block. So you go in and you get like, there were certain like foods and stuff that they would just kind of give you like bread, uh, grilled cheese, uh, or, or a block of cheese. It was just like a solid block of like yellow cheese, I guess like cheddar. Yeah. Um, you would get uh, milk. You would get uh, the milk. You could pick any any type of milk, whole, reduced, or skim. Uh, what else would you get? Butter. You get butter. So all of like the essentials or whatever what yeah. they what they considered essentials. So my har- my hallmark meal, like the best thing that my mom could cook, like she was treating me like it was like a celebration, was fried bologna. <laughs> and so you put hot sauce and ketchup with bologna in a pan and you fry it and then you put it on some white bread and and that was it and like fried bologna was like that was our like lobster yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? that was living large yeah wow but yeah i mean i i remember when i was uh young here in in um because i lived here for five years people don't realize like yeah. i grew up in west virginia from five on i went to kindergarten on to high school and then i came here for high school but first five years i was in san diego and my mom got arrested a few times i saw my mom get arrested and she's she's like telling off the cops and then they take her to the police station and i'm sitting there and they were fingerprinting me i don't remember why for fun or whatever i trying to keep me like occupied my mom's like walking back and forth in this room and it's glass. So I can see her. She can't see me, I guess is how it goes. And then someone would walk in and you can hear from the outside. And, uh, and they'd be like, I remember one person, she's like, I'm just going to walk back and forth. I got to get on. He's like, that's fine. Walk all you want. And he gets out. And then the next police officer comes in. He's like, sit down. I was like, the guy said I could walk. He's like, I said, sit down. She's like, fuck you. The guy said I could walk. And I'll always be like, I don't think you're supposed to be talking to these people this way, but she was always like that. But the craziest thing about my mom is she got arrested once and was on like the cover of the newspaper and all, everybody saw it. My aunt was like, she's going away for a long time. Like she's not getting out of this. Like it's a whole bunch of people coming out of a van with like, you know, yeah. with the suits and the handcuffs and she got out. And then uh, she told me later, she's like, I've done so much crooked shit in my life. I have never once got caught for anything that I did, but I've gotten arrested so many times for some shit I didn't do. And she got out of it every time. Oh my gosh. So yeah, she never spent like a lot of time in jail. All right. So high school. And so you never, you never did drugs. You never dealt drugs. No, I mean, I, I did some things when I was younger, which I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that, that I, that probably, you know, hustles and stuff that was probably uh, over the line. I think it's five years. 
And All is right. it five years? <laughs> we, I'm not gonna. This has come up a lot on the podcast. <laughs> but let's just say, like statutes. Yeah, but but here's something I learned. Here's something <laughs> I learned early on. So I did certain things that, you know, that I was always in hustle mode. I was always yeah. in hustle mode. Right. And then, and then you fast forward, like I'm 18 years old. I found out my first baby's coming and it's like hustle mode. And there's no safety nets for me. You know, like mom don't have Where money. Was dad at this dad point? doesn't have money. Uh, dad, dad was out here in San Diego. Yeah, dad right? was here in San Diego. Yeah. He was here in San Diego. So I live with my dad um, from 14 to 16. So I got two years with my dad. Okay. I lived with my dad for two years. And me and my dad are still tight. My mom ended up passing away at 54, but she was supposed to die when she was 20 something. Right. So wow. like she lived way longer than she was supposed to. Matter of fact, she lived so long that people would fly in to study her to realize, to, to try to figure out how she was still living. And then you, you looked at her charts. Everyone's like, there's no way this person could be living her liver swollen, drug induced diabetes, you know, HIV since this time. And it was just like, you know, all this crazy stuff. And then they look at her, she'd walk in the room like, Hey, what's up guys. I remember going to these rooms and there'd be like eight doctors, like flying in from all over her main doctor. Um, I'll think of his name. I think he lives here in La Jolla. Um, and they would just be like, and she'd just walk in. She's not on a oxygen tank. She's not on a wheelchair or a walker. She'd just be like, Hey guys, uh, I want to take my, my uh, granddaughter uh, shopping after this. So I only have so much time. Let's go. And they're just like, this is the girl those charts we looked at. This makes no sense. So yeah, she lived a way longer wow. than she was supposed to. It was impressive. Incredible. She was like the oldest living person with HIV, I believe. Cause she got it like in the early eighties and like, it wasn't until magic Johnson that people started living like a long time, but right. she was, she was pre that, you know, she was, she was pre that. Um, and how did you feel when she passed? We, was it, devastating were you well they had been giving my mom six months to live since since i could remember mm. and so i mean my mom would be like hey you know i'm probably not you know gonna be here and i'd be like yeah you are yeah. no nah, not true and then and then i have doctor's meetings where i'd go in and then the doctors would be the ones to like hey look so time that you, you guys are probably gonna have to have some difficult conversations and this and that and i'd be like yeah you guys are wrong never stressed i yeah. was never stressed i was like you guys are wrong you guys are 100 percent wrong i know my mom better than you guys do there's no medical stuff that's going to convince me that she's dead in six months yeah you guys are wrong 100 and i was right every time yeah. and so i remember in my um my senior year of high school this was like a big one. And there was like a bunch of doctors in there that had come in and they're looking at her heart. And you're, you're out here in San Diego. Not here in San Diego, Hilltop High School, Chula Vista. And uh, we're at the doctors in, uh, might've been Hillcrest. And um, <clears throat> can't remember where the doctor was exactly, but probably there. And they said, you have to make this decision for your mom. Your mom wants you to, or, or we want you, your mom can't make it. So you have to make it. And so here I am, uh, uh, you know, I think I'm 16 years old. So I'm in my junior year and it's like at the end of the year and, um, you know, some, somewhere around there, maybe I just graduated my junior, year, but they said, we have to decide to give her heart surgery or not. Mm. Her heart is not going to make it longer than a year. Like you got 13, 14 months tops and the heart is done. We've seen this a million times. Nobody survives with their heart like that. There's a surgery we can do that could prolong her life. I'm like, okay, then what are we here to talk about? 
But if we do the surgery, it only has a 50% survival rate. Mm. So what would you prefer? Would you prefer her do it now and you're flipping a coin, she comes out alive or dead, or you get to spend a quality year with her and you know she's going to live for a year, but not longer. Like, which is it? And I'm looking around like I'm 16 years old and all you guys are putting this on me. I was like, no comment. I will not make that decision. And they were frustrated. They were just like, well, this is a big decision. And I think that you should, you know, you're the most important person in her life. She wants your input. I'm like, I'm not making a decision. So my mom decides her biggest thing was to see me graduate. That was a really big deal to her. You know, at this point, I already had friends that died at 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, And she's like, she wasn't supposed to live as long as she did. So she's like, if I see my son graduate, I can die happy. Graduate high school. I'm not going to get the surgery. I'm going to see my son graduate. And then I got a couple months after that and I'm gone. They said, okay, like, that's it. And we're like, cool. Still don't believe it, but cool. You know? Yeah. So she sees me graduate. My mom's the only person bawling, tears falling out of her eyes. She just can't keep herself together. Like she can't believe she's actually witnessing her son graduate, wow. you know, like she's in the hospital for three years. Didn't see me where everyone's like, she's seeing everyone around her die. Now she's seeing me graduate. And so, um, she goes back to the doctor after the graduation. She's supposed to have like a couple months left to live at this point. Uh, they look, they look at her heart. She'd been walking a lot. They look at her heart. And they say, uh, what have you been doing? She's like, well, I didn't have a car, so I had to walk to get places. She said, they said, well, not only does your heart stronger, you don't need the surgery anymore and your heart's not going to fail anytime soon. And so she lived for Come on. decades longer. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Bro. It was a miracle. What's the, what is the, the, the moral here is exercise (laughs) exercise never give up and then i had a daughter and so when i had a daughter she had a whole new reason for living Uh, because in her head she's like okay jason's strong he's been through a lot he's obviously like a very uh ambitious guy Uh, he's already trying to buy a house at 18 so i tried to buy a house when i was 18 before i had my my baby and i went in there and they were like and I had money saved up. I was always saving money, right? $10,000 saved up at 18 years old from bussing tables. They said, you have enough for a down payment. If you didn't have this one thing on your credit, I was like, I didn't even know I had credit. What do I have? They said 1988 West Virginia mountain water company, 88. I was eight years old. I go, I go see my mom. I was like, did you put the water in my name when I was a kid? She's like, yeah. I was like, you're literally the reason I can't buy a house. I would be buying a condo right now for $80,000, putting the down payment. She's like, well, you were complaining when you were taking a warm bath. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She came back at me like, what do you want? You want to have no water growing up? You were, you was drinking them tall glasses of water. You weren't complaining then. I was like, oh, man. So I had to wait till I was 21 till that fell off my credit. And then I bought my first property. Oh, my gosh, bro. Dude, how crazy is that? Where all it took was being active. Yeah. Because the heart's a muscle. Heart's a muscle. And it's funny how they didn't say that. They didn't. <laughs> right. How interesting. They just said your heart's just, not going to make it. Just this crazy, expensive surgery yeah. that they make a lot of money on. Mm-hmm. 
Not, oh, by the way, just walk and exercise your heart. And that that actually might do it. The muscles got so strong. And the reason why the surgery wouldn't was a 50-50 chance is because they have to stitch the heart. And because the muscle wasn't thick enough at that time, it probably wasn't. The stitches would rip through. Right. Right. But now it's like now it's so strong that not only would you survive the surgery if you had it, you don't even need it. You don't even need it. Yeah, it was crazy. Crazy. All right, yeah. keep going. So after high school, fast forward, um, when entrepreneurship, give me your journey. From so there. my first, um, let me see. I think my first entrepreneurship, uh, little business, it was called Jay's supplement slinging network. Oh gosh. <laughs> I made the flyers and everything. I had a little computer. I made the flyers. I had a list of all my products. So I would try to find discounts at different supplement shops and stuff like this. Maybe I took some things, <laughs> bring it back to Maybe. the company. <laughs> Maybe I took some things I shouldn't have. And I had my trunk filled with everything from insures to protein powders to ginseng. I would go to the, like, cause they would sell ginseng at like GNC and stuff like that. It was really popular yeah. back then. There was all this science that yeah. had shown that it increased in endurance and libido and all this stuff. And so it'd be like 20, $30 at GNC. I went to the dollar store. They had them at the dollar store. I loaded up on them. I was selling, I was slinging them things for 15 bucks a pop that I bought for a dollar. And like my general manager would buy it at the restaurant I worked in, you know, stuff like that. And so I just had, so I would go to the college kids. I'm in college at this point and I would just pop the trunk. I'm like, what do you need? I'd have like those big protein bars with like 50 grams of protein. Like, dude, that'll get me through my next class. That's the calories I need, you know? And so people would come to me for, for supplements. So that was, that was my thing. So I was working three jobs, right? Let me think what jobs I had. Yeah, jobs? I was delivering chicken for KFC. I was a, I was a chicken hauler. I was a, a bus boy and a server at the old spaghetti factory. And I worked at 24 hour fitness as, is this a, in San Diego? as a fitness trainer. Yeah. Okay. So the, the KFC is in Chula Vista. The old spaghetti factory is downtown. Yeah, still there. I remember that. And the 24 hour fitness is still there. It's the one in South Chula Vista is the one I worked at the time. And then I sold supplements out truck in my car and I had a newborn baby and I was in school full time. So you want to talk about a stress. That's why today people are like, you're so busy. And this is, I'm like, it's relative. It's relative. I don't think of myself as busy right now. Like, you know, even though I got multiple businesses and family and all this stuff going on, like nothing can top that schedule back then. Like, <laughs> and, and to make things worse, you'd like, you'd finally get home and go to bed and be like, okay, I got five hours. I might be able to survive tomorrow's, you know, classes and school and all this stuff with five hours. I might. Right. And then I, I would work out too hard too. I'd have like 30 minutes in the gym and I'd go crazy too. I'd be like way too sore. So I had like acne. I was skinny. It was just like, I was not doing my, doing well to my body. Yeah. And then little Jasmine would wake up. Finally starting to doze off. She'd wake up in the middle of the night crying. One time she woke up screaming and I was like, it's two in the morning. I have a class. I have to be there at six. I was like, it was like a lab that started super early. I hated it. Most classes start at eight. And so we got to go to the hospital. So we're in the emergency room at the hospital waiting. And I'm just looking like it's an hour less sleep I'm going to get. It's an hour less sleep. I get. When it finally time got time to go, I had taken like maybe a nap. And I remember I'm just like dozing off in the lab. And I was thinking like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I can't sleep. And the little bit of time I have to sleep because I got a baby waking up. I have to work all these jobs to make enough money to pay for everything that I'm trying to do. Like, 
it's not fair. And then I thought like people all around the world do this every day. Yeah. People have babies all the time and don't get to sleep. It's like life isn't fair. Find a way or make a way. Suck it up. And it yeah. was like this big life lesson, this epiphany. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, you poor, your teacher's not going to be like, oh, you were up so late, uh, so late with a baby. Why'd you have a baby at 19? That's your fault. You know, that's yeah. your problem. You yeah. know, deal with it. And it's not like it was that much easier when I had my next baby eight years later. You know what I mean? I was less stressed because I knew how to take care of a baby, less stressed during the pregnancy. But it's, and then when I had my next son, it was like, Waking up in the middle of the night, like that's that's what you do when you have babies. So speaking of which, my first baby, we just announced. If you guys check my Instagram, Jason O. Stewart, big post. She's having a baby. No my way. baby's having a baby. Come on, yeah. Oh my god, you're gonna be a grandpa. <laughs> Uh, Papa Jay, everyone's Papa laughing Jay. at me on my post because like, don't call me grand nothing. On the video, I was like, I don't want to hear no grandpa, granddad, <laughs> you know, the gramps, none of that. Call me Papa Jay because her little brother, so my baby's mom has a uh, new baby with her new man. Um, we all get along really great and the baby loves me and he calls me Papa Jay. And so I was like, let's just keep the Papa Jay thing going. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, but dude, to learn, to come to that epiphany, as you said, uh, talk about that a little bit, because I think it's what people need to hear right now, because we're at a, a point again in our society, our system, our program, where it's rough right now. Like people are going some rough times right now. People are thinking like their stuff's worse than others. And you said it, dude, suck it up. What is it? Find a way, make a way. Find a way or make a way. Like, talk about that for a second. Like, what that mentality of it needs to be talked about more because life is freaking hard. Yeah. It's hard. 100%. Especially if you're going after it. Yeah. If you're going after a above average lifestyle, or but, but because our system programs us to be, again, sick, fat, broke. Mm-hmm. They want us there. Yeah. So they can control us. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to break the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, excuses are results. You know, my, I I have a young assistant that helps me out with my businesses and it's like, I'm trying to kind of like mold him to, to be prepared. And it's like, he was really good at school. So he really sucked at the entrepreneur stuff Mm. because at school, you get away with it, put it here, do ABC, blah, blah, blah. In real life, it's like, this is a task. I want you to do it. Go figure it out. And so he'll come back and be like, so-and-so didn't give me the photos doing this. And then he'll send a request for a milestone payment. So can you pay me a milestone leading up to this event? I was like, what milestone? What have you accomplished? Well, I reached out to this many people. I was like, okay, but what did you accomplish? Is the, is the banner up? Are the posters up? Did this get done? Did that get done? You did a lot of busy work, but nothing got done. No one, no one rewards you for being busy. I don't care if you're on an Island in freaking the Bahamas. If it's getting done, I have no problem paying you. I don't care who you paid, what what virtual assistance you got to do it. If it got done, I don't care. And I don't care how much work you did or what events you missed to try to get it done. If it didn't get done, yeah, you didn't get done. And so I said, look, you can have excuses or results. You can't have both. He's like, I said, what do you want? He said, results. I said, okay. I went through his text messages one by one. I responded, excuse, 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 excuse. Now, as far as results go, how you think we're doing on a scale of one to 10? He's like, really bad. One or two, right? Yeah. But how on excuses, we're killing it. Yeah. So quit with the excuses. I don't need to know who didn't respond to you or who didn't this and -and so-and-so didn't do their job. 
get it done. Right? Make it happen. So I, I, I yeah, and I, I think my my superpower has been, and I probably some of this may have been genetics or just being raised with the mom that I had, because you know, you have the mom that I have, like you grow up in some situation, people are looking at you and you get kind of used to it. And and my my dad kind of has that same thing. He don't give a shit who's looking, he doesn't care about other people's opinions. My mom was always the same way. My mom was very against the grain. Her whole side of the family is very high conflict personality. And so one of my superpowers I feel has been that I not only don't care what other people think almost all the time, but it's not even on my radar. Like I had one of the guys who works for me, JD actually. And he was telling me like, Hey, you know, some people are mad because you left them on red. And I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. I've heard it a few times, but I didn't know. It means that you open the message, but you didn't respond to the message and they're mad. They're like, yeah, there's like people are pissed off and stuff like that. Left them on red. Yeah. It's called unread. I think it's on red. I didn't know if it was unread or on red. So you left them on red. I guess it means like you read their message, but you didn't give it a heart or respond to it. And some of the messages are like this. You talking about like a text message. Yeah. Text message, GM, whatever. And, uh, but it's like, I would never know that these people are mad if he didn't tell me now, maybe that brings some self-awareness. You yeah. know, I had another friend call me out. Hey, B, you're my bro. I can't believe you left me on rest. So I heard it twice in a week. So I guess, I guess it's a bad thing to do like to not respond I've to every, heard to everything. Right. Um, but, uh, but like, I not only don't care, but it's not even on my radar. And so I know, like I live in Coronado, I'm the weird dude, rarely have a shirt on, usually barefoot. I'm on a skateboard, hair going crazy, you know, and you know, me and the kids are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, me and my son run to school. And at the end, when we get close to school, we sprint and everyone is like, you know, pushing their kids on the little thing or on the bike. And they're they're like, looking at us like we're crazy. And I couldn't give two shits. You know what I mean? Like, look at these guys, they're running, they're completely out of breath. They're sweating. And it's like, yeah, I. That's, that's how we, I teach all my kids run fastest at the end. This is the end. If I don't get his energy out, then you're going to be complaining about an interaction that my son had with your kid. So like, this is what we do before school. We do a full workout. So today he got me in the gym. Yeah. He's like, Hey, I'm up early. I did all my stuff. You think we could hit the gym? I told you yesterday, like, I think I'm going to skip the gym because it's like, I got so much going on and I don't think I'm going to be. So he got me in the gym. This is the 10 year old. This is a 10 year old. We work out every morning. Is he lifting weights? Lifting weights. So he's he's, lifting I was weights. like, can you start with like sit up squats and push ups? It's, it's going to take me a second to get ready, you know? So I get up and I'm like brushing my teeth and everything. And I hear him doing his jump, jump squats and his push ups and everything. And so, uh, okay, we only got like 20 minutes to hit the gym. We go to the gym and we kill it for 20 minutes. What gym do you go to? I have a gym where I live. Oh, okay. So we did pull ups. Uh, he, he did squats. He does pretty heavy squat. He'll do a 70 pound dumbbell yeah, and then he'll yep. lift it. And then he did a kettlebell where he can go lower. Wow. Um, he did some bench press. I was doing a bunch of shoulder stuff, a little bit of walking lunges, a bunch of pull-ups. And next thing you know, it's like, Oh, we got a pretty good workout. All right, let's go. And then he ran to school and I was like, you're going without me today. I got this podcast I got to go to. And he's like, cool. How far is it to school? A little over a mile, a little over a mile yeah. and you're running to school. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you. And he bro. beats me. He's like, I got him in the sprint and I don't like it when my kids can beat me at anything. Like I'm competitive to the end. Like if you beat me, you earned it. Not because I was slacking. And so, um, you know, sometimes on the runs, it's kind of like give or take, but now it's almost 
always take for him. So he's, his long distance running is, is on point. He's I, usually the fastest in his school with the, they do, they have like the jogathon. He'll usually run the most laps in his school. So keep going with this, uh, not caring about what people think, because I'm telling you right it's now, it's been a superpower. Cause so, and superpower. I remember, I remember like going out at like, you know, I didn't get to go out as much as most people because I had a baby, but I, I would still go out with friends and stuff. And, um, I remember like looking at myself and looking at like, it's almost to the point where I should care a little bit more, or at least have a little more self-awareness because like, like I'll have like some toothpaste on my face or like, I don't even look in the mirror before I leave a lot of times. Like, you know, so it's like, um, it's just like, I, I so don't care what, what people think that I, it's not in my radar to register it, to, to like, you know, to care, like maybe this, maybe that. And so, you know, maybe there's pros and cons to that, but I think the, when I look at other people, it's like, Oh no, I can't go in the water. I can't get my hair wet. I don't want anyone to see my hair frizzy or this or that. Yeah. It's like, wow. A lot of people live their whole life. Like really worried about other people's opinion of them. Yeah. So here's a funny story. A uh, really close girlfriend of mine. And she's got, um, and and I'm, and I'm friends with her, uh, like, I guess the father of her kids. And she was telling me about, um, like that, how he got vaccined, you know, it's her boyfriend at the time. I don't, I don't know what they are, you know, relationships are, but, um, and she's like, yeah, he did all this independent research and he had a lot of pressure to get, you know, everybody had a lot of pressure to get the vaccine, everybody. And I'm not, I'm not, you know. I understand people who did it. Like I was the most anti because my gut told me no. Right. But even I was like, so me and my kids aren't going to be able to travel without it. Like we want to travel. Yeah. All right. How bad are the side effects? Maybe I'll take, even though I know this has nothing to do with saving you from this. I was like, we want to, luckily we we never crossed that path. Right. But there was so much pressure. There was like even people that didn't want to do it. So he was under a lot of pressure and he was like, all of his research said, don't get it. All of his research, he studied the history of vaccines, takes way longer for it to be effective. Most vaccines are not effective, especially the first round and this and that. And so he does all of his research. He says, 100% don't want to get it. However, they tied politics to it, which still blows my mind. I'm not a political guy. Yeah. They tied politics to it some somehow. And he said he was anti-Trump. And so if he didn't get the vaccine, people would think he was pro-Trump. And so he got the vaccine for that. And I was just like, what? He's like, yeah, anytime he would tell anyone he wasn't vaccine, they'd be like, oh, okay. All right, you Trump supporter or this and that. And he hated Trump so much that he went ahead and, and, and got the vaccine. And I'm like, first of all, didn't Trump get the vaccine? I don't know how they have that correlation where yeah. you're, you know what I mean? It's just like, but for that to make you just like, you really have to care what people think. Yes. You know? And then yeah. I have like family members that are like, oh, like at my work, if you didn't have it, you were shunned. You were this, you were irresponsible, this and that. I finally just like, I'm trying to keep peace in the office. And it was just like, see me, I give two shits. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like you can all hate me. My, uh, my day is going to go on splendidly. I promise. Like, you how, know, how, in, because our whole society, bro, like 90, what probably 7% of the population lives through the eyes of their peers yeah. and cares what people think about them. 
How it's, crazy it's, is this? It's a big thing that hasn't been on my radar in so long that I can't, can I you, can't even relate. Can you give these viewers and listeners like any advice on okay, how to here's, here's, the, here's the biggest advice, and this is a fact, give and you can me. pay attention to it if, as, if you want, and you'll, the more you pay attention to it, the more you'll see it's true. No one cares. Everyone is focused on themselves and worried about what other people are thinking of them yeah. that they don't notice you. FaceTime somebody today. FaceTime anyone today and look where their eyes go. Their eyes aren't looking at you. Their eyes are looking at the little screen that shows them. See how they're looking. And they're like, shift because the lighting's better this way. Uh, okay, what were you saying? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. They're, they're both, and both people are looking at themselves and you realize like you might as well just... <laughs> You might as well just have your on selfie mode watching yourself because you're not looking at the other person. And that's a perfect analogy. And it's a real fact. Just do it anytime. But it, it, it sums up how humans are living today. Yeah. Like no one's focused on you. And the thing is, too, no one cares. The people who are talking crap, who are who are are discouraging from you from your dreams, who are telling you all that stupid or oh you can't do that, are people that are on your level or probably below, and you're so concerned about them. Oh yeah, oh you're going to some motivational seminar, okay, Tony Robbins. It's like yeah, I am because I'm not going to be living like you the rest of my life. Like the fact that you care about that person's opinion blows my mind because the people that are above you, they went to the money in you. They went to the Tony Robbins seminar. They went, they took the course, they took the class, they read the book. And that's why they're more successful yes. than you. And if you do what they did, you're going to be successful too. And anyone doing better than you is never going to shoot you down for wanting to improve. Right. Like that's a fact. Go to someone who's done the shit that you want to do. And they're going to be like, Oh, here's, here's how I did it. Let me show you. Let me run you through the steps. So you don't waste a lot of time. Like I did. It's like, but instead, we worry about the opinions of sheep instead of the opinions of lions. Think about that, man. Think about it. And you just said it because anybody that's massively successful and they see somebody coming up that has the aspirations and the drive and the ambition and the balls to go for it, they're more than happy to help. Mm -hmm. Right? 100%. Say, hey, here's how I did it. Listen, if they're willing to listen and give time, they're like, here's how here I can shorten your learning curve. Yeah. Right. But and what's crazy is the the most successful people, when they see you're trying and they see that you've already like went through some steps to better yourself, you've already accomplished some things, they're rooting for you. Yes. Successful people are rooting for you. Yes. I, I got my friend Brian Sadorsky. If I text him, he'll text back within five minutes every yep, time. Yep. He answers the phone 80% of the time. Uh, my buddy Nick Halleck. Text me back within three seconds. Yep. You know, these are people who, you know, Brian Sadorsky's worth. 850 million, maybe close to a billion now. <sighs> um, Nick Halleck has accomplished like all this crazy stuff, decamillionaire, you know, like d d one of the few people that I'm like, okay, I want to do what he's doing. You know, I yeah. want his life. Yeah. Cause even, even my, my, uh, hundred million dollar friends and billionaire friends and stuff, a lot of them, I'm not trading places with them. Yeah. My life is dope. Yeah. Like I get, you know, they didn't get as much time with their kids as me. Uh, they're not as good a shape as me. They're not as healthy. They're not doing the fun stuff that I'm doing. So a lot of people I don't trade with. So. I say pay attention to that too, because everybody looks for the guy driving the Lambo flashing the Rolex, but guess what? Like, how are you feeling on the inside when you have that? Mm. You would probably feel more accomplished if you ran a marathon. Yeah. Than if you bought a Lambo. That's right. You know, I've bought all the cars and everything. I Jim Jim Carrey has one of my favorite quotes. I wish everyone could be rich and famous, 
so they could realize that that's not the answer. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've experienced to agree a lot of the, the things that come with, with rich and famous and, and they're great aspire for that. Right. The reason why I don't discourage people from aspiring to the Lambo or the watch or everything, because it's a confidence builder. Yeah. And you start to realize that manifesting is real. Mm. You know, I had my buddy Mike talk about how when he was uh, uh, 18 or whatever, and he worked at McDonald's, he would tell everyone how he's going to have a Rolex. And then somebody ran into him when he was in his twenties, like, Hey bro, where's your Rolex? You said you're gonna have a Rolex. And he felt like, Oh, I did tell everyone that I did put that out there. And then like a few years later, he really pushed harder and he ended up getting the Rolex. So now it's just, a, uh, I do what I'm say I'm going to do. I set a goal and there's something physical, tangible. I'm driving a Lamborghini, McLaren, Bentley, whatever, yeah. something tangible to show I could do it. Then you realize, okay, that's all the proof I need. It could be done. Now maybe I do it to like feed 10,000 kids, or maybe now I do it to, you know, raise my kids a certain way, or maybe now I do it to uh, get my pilot's license or become an instructor or create a speaking course or speak on stage and influence, you know, thousands of people, whatever it is, you can apply it to anything, but there's nothing wrong with the material stuff, but you will realize that the most important thing is the relationships you have in your life. Yes. I heard somebody say, um, what, what company did this guy build? Anyway, he sold it for a couple billion dollars or something. And he said, he's a real practical guy. Doesn't have a lot of fancy stuff. Didn't take a whole lot of money on the exit. And he said something that I had been, uh, I had wrote on my notes, something very similar. My kids bought me a shower pen and pad. It's like waterproof. So I stick it on my shower. That's where all my best ideas come. And I write it down. And it's basically what I wrote down was success. And I was like, what is success? What success? Like, you know, years ago, I would have put Lambo, yeah. mansion, travel, you know, all these things. The first thing that came to my mind was success is my kids want to hang with me after they're grown. And so I put kids want to hang with me after they're grown. Yep. And it's like, I got a 24 year old that texts me regularly a couple times a week. What are you guys doing? Are we doing, you know, are we going to grab sushi tonight? You know, she's so excited. If we go on vacation, even when she was in a, a relationship uh, that like, you know, the lovey dovey stages of a relationship, it's like, Oh, I love you. I can't wait to see you again. Be did with my dad for two weeks, deuces, you know, and she's just so excited to come on vacation with me and her siblings. Wow. And it's just like, that's success. You yes. Know? And so, um, the material things are great and I think you should strive for them. And I think it should be more about doing than it is having. And I think it should be more about being even than it is doing. And the cool thing Mm. about that is, is everyone thinks like, well, once I have the money and once I have the car, then I'll be able to do the things and then I'll be able to become the person. That's right. But you can become the person right now. You can manifest it. You can script it. You can do your vision board. You can think about it on the regularly and start becoming that person. You walk, talk, act, socialize different to where when people are in your presence, I just got invited on a private jet. I'm probably going to be the poorest mofo on the private jet. It's like $15,000 per person, all expense paid, private chef. You're going to the thing. But my presence there. And like, they're like, oh, well, you're friends with mutual people. And like, we can tell by your energy that you're really going to help this company. And I said, look, and they're bringing people with the intention of having everyone drop a half a million dollars on their company. The the 500,000 is the minimum that you're allowed to invest. I was like, look, I don't want to take that seat on that jet unless you feel I can add some value in some way Mm. other than the 500,000. Because I'll tell you right now, I'm not dropping 500 grand. 
Like I'm a real estate guy. I only invest in what I know. And if I got 500 grand, I'm flipping a house. I'm buying some fourplex, something like that. We get it. There's no pressure to buy. Like you're going to add a lot of value to us. We can feel it. And it was the energy. It was the way that we vibed. And, and I believe him. I believe that I am going to add a lot of value in these people's lives, whether it's, whether it's this company or another one. But if I would have, waited until I felt comfortable. I had so much expendable money that I could drop a half a mil or a mil on some random business that I don't know if it's going to go well or not. Cause I don't know anything about that space. You know, that might've took years to get to that point, but instead I just became that person, yes. you know, became that person. And then I get the invite, you know, became that person. And then I got the Lambo became that person. And then I traveled and, you know, bought the investment property and became friends with the, with the this guy and the who's who of that and you know so so what you're talking about here is the the world revolves around 97 percent have do be yeah what you're talking about is how it actually works to become successful it's the opposite be, be do have be do have yeah who was the ted talk the one guy that did it um he did a whole ted talk on this what you're saying is become the person first mm-hmm. do what that person would do yep and you're automatically eventually gonna have it yeah Talk about the keep keep going with so my the favorite, thing about bringing value to wherever you're at. I love that part. Yeah. The, so, and that's the thing too. It's like, how can I add value? How can I add value? Become a better version of yourself. And, there you, you go. and that's, that's step one. Come on. Then you can add value. You become a better communicator. How much do you have to work on yourself? Like it's everything. I, I tell people right now, people are like, Hey, I want to invest in something. You know, I got a little extra money. I want to invest. What do you recommend I invest in? I say, number one, yourself. What courses have you done? What books are you reading? And it doesn't necessarily take money. You could, you could watch the YouTube videos, you you know, but time or money, either forms of energy, put that energy towards yourself. Number two is your business. If you have a business, put money in that because that has to be healthy because that's going to fund everything else. Number three is real estate. It's tried and true. It's made more millionaires than anyone else. When everything else fails, you know, I got some friends right now that, um, when COVID hit and all this other stuff hit, but luckily they ended up pivoting, but what kept them alive to where they could pivot and they still had money coming in was their real estate. Yeah. You know, I helped them buy uh, units. I helped them buy a house here, a two-plex here, a four-plex here, a commercial building here, another four-plex here. And they got enough money coming in now where if they didn't have big ambitions and they want to just chill and travel the world for the rest of their life, they could retire. Wow. But it didn't look like that at first. Yeah. When they first bought it, they're only positive cash flowing a few hundred here. Next one's a bigger, you know, fourplex. We're only positive cash flowing a few thousand, but rents always go up. Yep. Prices may go up and down. Rents don't. Rents are always going up. So if you can positive cash flow on that property, it doesn't matter if it dropped to 50% what you bought it for, you're cash flowing. Who cares? You know, yeah. now they're cash flowing like 6,000 on this property, 8,000 on this property because the rents went up, turned this place to a studio, whatever. But, um, yeah, it, it, exactly. So one of the exercises that I have people do is the vision of the future you. And I say, write with as much descriptive detail as you can, this version of you who you look up to, who you admire. Imagine that person walking in the room and act like you don't know them. Yeah. You know what I mean? That person walks in the room and it's the you in a year or five years or whatever. You don't have to put a time on it. But okay. First of all, what do they look like? How are they dressed? They got some clothes. How that, far out do you go? How many years out? It, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It, it, the ideal because, you. Because the cool thing about it is when you start, the the more often you do it, and the more detailed you get, and the more you can really not only picture it but feel what mm. it feels like. How do you feel when that person comes in the Come room? On. How do you feel when he talks to? Oh my gosh, 
talking to me. She's, she's talking to me, you know, it's that person made me feel special. I feel like I can do anything now after talking to that guy. Cool. That's you. And then you start becoming it faster. So the, the more you, the more frequently and the more clearly and the more powerful the feelings, the more real yes. the feelings, the quicker it happens. So you could literally become that person in six months where this person maybe only looks at it and reads it once a month and it takes them five years to become that person. But what you'll find is a lot of your goals that you're envisioning as if they're actually happening when you accomplish them, they become deja vu. That's right. Because you've been thinking about that for so long and everyone else is like, wow, how did that happen? Aren't you so excited? I'm like, this, this happened for me a year ago. Like this is only news to you yes. guys. And I, I have some really cool examples of how that's played out in my life. But you just write down, you know, I, I could probably pull one up and read one of mine right now. But, um, you know, Jason Stewart walks in the room and his energy is captivating. People want to talk to him. People want to be around him. Has great posture, has great physique because he works out and he's able to lift this much, do these cool things, you know, physical stuff that we do in calisthenics yeah. or whatever. He can do the splits, you know, like all these, all these things, like he's flexible. And, you know, he, when he talks to people and then he motivates you this way and, and, you know, Smells like frankincense and Palo Santo. Like what, you know what I mean? Like get, get as detailed as you can with this person and then start visualizing yeah. it and you'll become that person, you know, like that's, that's, it's been my secret weapon. And how often do you read that stuff? Like what do you suggest? I mean, you could do in, in a, in a ideal setting, you should read it every day. Every day. Yeah. I don't, you yeah. know, but also I'll go long periods without doing it. And I'll realize I've come static on, on my goals. Yeah. Um, I had Juliana Miller do that. And Juliana Miller was at a place in her life where she was just like, she's a fighter, right? Fighter. She's a fighter. And this was years ago before she taught me how to do the handstand on a skateboard, but she was just like, I need your good energy. I need some motivation, whatever. And like, Juliana, like, I think if she did some podcasts and talked about her life and the past and stuff, this probably she doesn't want to like get in trouble or get other people in trouble. She has a crazy history. Yeah. Like, you know, like family who's lived in a trailer park and, you know, family members doing like, you know, a lot of stuff going on. She, yep. she had a very rough it. Statistically, she was not supposed to be successful. Statistically, she's supposed to be a statistic. Right. And so I remember we came there and I, the first thing I did was I said, write down some of your goals. Now circle the ones that are most important to you. Becoming a fighter was top of the list. I said, write down over here, all the things that happen five to 10 years from now, if you do accomplish it. All right. I make it to UFC. I'm on the cover of a magazine. I make it on a show. People are wanting my autograph. I have money in the bank, you know, all these things. I'm like, cool. Feel that. Embody that. How's that feel? feel? The, feel How's the, that feel? Feels good, right? Now over here, write down all the things that happen if you don't. I'm probably going to be on drugs. I'm probably going to be, you know, this, I'm probably going to be that. And I was like, feel that pain. This is what most people live this yes. life because they don't chase this. So the two things that motivate you is pleasure and pain. And the way humans are wired is we'll run from pain faster than we'll run towards pleasure. So that's why the pain part is important. You know, stay positive, stay positive, stay positive. Okay. But also be scared of something, you know, yeah. to help you run towards the positive. And so I had two visions and I didn't even like purposely do this to myself. This just happened when I was starting Epic Fighting. I had two visions that kept coming up. One was the show is sold out. People are trying to get in. Everyone's cheering. The fights are happening. At the end of the fights, coaches and fighters are like, thank you for the opportunity. This changed my life. Thank you so much. Uh, we're so glad you did that. It was just like 
this feeling of fulfillment. You're helping people accomplish their goals. These fighters are going to, you know, uh, some of them would have been in trouble if it wasn't for that. It just felt so good. It's cheering and screaming and lights. And then every now and then this other thought would come into my head. That's like, um, should we go ahead and start the fights? I don't think anyone's coming. And I'd be like, oh, we were supposed to start an hour ago. Like, how long do you want to push it back? Like, if they're not here now, they're probably not coming. And the only people there are like the people that are, were helping, you know? Yeah. And it was scary. I was like, oh God, we get the chills. I was just, it was like a nightmare. And so both of those would motivate me to go out and put posters up, to go into businesses and ask if I could put the flyers and the posters to make a new post and on social media. And when the event happened, literally like, almost verbatim some of the people coming up to me thank you so much for the opportunity Crazy. you gave me and my fighter you know this is really big for us and this is like we can't thank you enough and it's like this is happening and then all my friends are coming to me can you believe that like you did that can you believe it? i was like we did that and it's only news to you guys this is deja vu and then i pictured this show where we had like you couldn't even get into it epic four it was just like it, and, and it was going to be the talk of the town and it just sent waves everyone's heard of epic fighting now you know yeah. epic four you know three shows later we turn away close to a thousand people because not everyone could get in i'm getting calls from some dude who produces for hbo and showtime i'm getting calls to have lunch with all these people like who is this kid that put this thing together and then everyone's like, dude, can you believe that? Like we had to turn away. This is the biggest, at the time it was the biggest show and MMA show in San Diego history. Cause UFC had come, they didn't sell that many tickets. Right. Um, WEC Bellator come, they didn't sell that many tickets. Later on, Bellator did a big show where they, where they had a big crowd. But um, it was just like, yeah, I do believe it. This is deja vu for me. It's only news to you guys. Then you fast forward and people are getting my logo tattooed on them. Did you ever think that? That you, uh, no, because that that never was a thought for me. I, I don't have tattoos. <laughs> I never it didn't register on my radar. I feel the same way you guys feel about that. And now we usually have like eight to ten people get ta get an epic logo tattoo at every event that we have. And so we do appreciation party, and the the people love our our vibe and our brand so much. The guy that's making the tacos gets a big old E on his shoulder. This big bright red. It's You're like people me. love what we're doing, and so um going back to to juliana i had her do that exercise and she did it because she was with me and i made her do it so i said this is gonna determine whether she really wants it mm. i read her several versions of mine vision of the future jason here's one from years ago here's one recently i said you do this with you next day i didn't hear from her so i kind of follow up hey just checking in on you oh yeah i need to send you this and she had done it and she wrote this vision of the future her and when once she did that i knew it I knew she was going to do well. And the thing is, is like, that's just, that's just the stepping stone. Yeah. It's where, it's where your life goes, where your life, when, when your reticular activator system, like the law of attraction, whatever you want to call it, whenever that is dialed in on what you're trying to do, other things happen that you never thought that was a stepping stone you needed. She went to an emotional intelligence course after that. She started reading books and listening to certain types of podcasts and, and certain types of videos after that different than the type of stuff that she was putting right. into her brain before that emotional intelligence course did wonders to propel her to the next thing. And then she did something else and did something else. And then her training is different. Her she's, you know, and then next thing you know, she's the ultimate fighter. Wow. How important is it? You've said this a few times. 
putting yourself in the moment so you have that feeling as though it's right now. The call I call this a lot to my friends, like, well, I don't need a nice car. I'm like, nice car, it's not about the it's about the state of being that you feel when you're in that car. Mm-hmm. That makes you money. Mm-hmm. That makes you confident. Yep. How important is the state of being that you feel? Super important. Right? Super important. So I like I told you, I'm usually in like shorts and like no shoes and shit. But I found out that like, okay, every now and then if I want to make some content, I want to meet some certain people, I'll dress up a little bit nicer because it'll kind of change and people remember like because I used to wear a suit every single day. Yeah. And I would admire the guy that wasn't stuck in the office. So I I'm an extremist. So I went from like, I don't need windows. I lock myself in this office 10 hours a day to the other extreme. They're like, I forgot how to get to the office. I haven't been there in a year. You know what I mean? Like I literally went to one extreme to another. And so, um, but it's super huge. So when you don't have any clothes on, when you're in like some swimming trunks barefoot, then what's, what's making you feel good? Well, your mindset and thinking about the things you want to come also your body, you know, I'm getting outside more, you're getting more sun, you're working out more, you're staying healthier, you're putting better stuff in, into your body. And so all of these little evidence of success, the more evidence of success you have, the the more Mm. your confidence, all confidence is people get, Jason, you're so confident. Like, how do you, I want to be confident. I want to be more confident. Like you, I want to be, I want to have like your aura. Like you just walk in a room and you're like, you know, you own the place. And I've had that since a pretty young age. Yeah. And I said, stop lying to yourself. All you got to do is be honest with yourself. I'm going to work out Monday. No, you're not. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. No, you're not. Little thing in the back of your brown. No, back of your brain. No, you're not. Instead say, I'm going to take a walk tomorrow. Check. I did what I was going to say. All right, I'm going to do it again the next day. Check. A week later, I'm going to jog at least half of this walk. Check. Those little checks where you're actually doing it. Yeah. Instead of having a huge goal that you never do, I set these, and it's okay to fall short of your goals. You, you know, aim, aim for the moon, you land amongst the stars, however that saying goes. But with me, it was like, you know, and then, and then certain things happen too that boost your confidence that you didn't even say you were going to do it. You didn't even plan on yeah, doing it. Yeah. Like I had a, a series of things that, that happened uh, at a young age. I was like, Oh wow. Cool. I remember when I, when I wrestled, um, I wasn't good at, at wrestling, uh, for the wrestling team. Cause most of those kids in West Virginia had wrestled since before. Right. So I wrestled in seventh grade and I was like, ah, and then I did one match and this dude was like a ninth grader. I was a seventh grader and he just pinned me in front of everyone. And like, you know, all the girls liked me and they were, there were cheerleaders there. I was like, <laughs> and they were just like, Oh, and I was like, I'm never doing that again. So I got, <laughs> I got it. I made an excuse to get out of every other match was like, all my girlfriends are going to see me get pinned again. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but I kept going to practice. You go to the summer, we used to play King of the Hill where we would all fight each yeah, other. Yeah. Now I usually had an advantage because I had Taekwondo and Aikido, but now I had wrestling. This wrestling was really effective. Oh yeah. Right. And now I'm winning King of the Hill all the time. So eighth grade, I'm not, I'm not doing that again in front of those people. I come to, to California. My dad's like, you should play a sport. Can't play football. It's too dangerous. My, my dad was a boxer. He's like, you can box, you can fight, whatever you want. Football's too dangerous. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll try out for the wrestling team. Next thing you know, I'm, beating older people than me because these skills that I just kept going to practice and I kept doing them throughout the summer. And, uh, you know, I just had tenacity to like not give up, which was something that I lucky I had developed at a young age. 
and I'm in ninth grade and I'm beating the 10th graders and the 11th graders. And I, I, I was on varsity in my freshman year because you would do normally they go down the line and they say, this is the person for varsity and it's all yeah. seniors and juniors. And if they say your name and you're in that way, you could speak up and say challenge. No one ever said challenge. I was like, challenge. We went into double overtime. I beat the guy and the guy shook my hand. He was like, you're one of the toughest guys I've ever went against. And I was varsity. Yeah. And then, um, my senior year, I ended up pinning every opponent at dual meets. Um, and never got pinned my senior year, you know? So I, I, I got good at it after a while, but you, you flash back to yeah. my, that first match. If I wouldn't have stuck with it, it would have been horrible. Same thing with my daughter. I trained my daughter and she got really good just by me training her. So her first class, she's tapping out all these boys. And I thought you said this is her first day. I was like, well, she's only trained with me. I didn't know that doing the locks on the arms and stuff with me would transfer as well as it did yeah. to the kids. But her first tournament, she went against this juggernaut, this kid who's like his dad's like a Navy SEAL. He can do like 20 pull-ups. Like he's crazy. You know, he, he leads like the adult class on the workouts because he's in better shape than them. Like six pack. And this kid choked my daughter and my daughter went time just choking the crap and extending her back. And I remember I was like, this is so bad for her first experience. She's never going to want to do this again. Has the hooks in stretching her back all the way back. Her face is turning purple. She won't tap. I'm yelling tap, tap, you know, and she taps out and she holds her back. Cause she, you know, the kid jacked up his back and it's one and done. You're out. Yeah. I was like, Oh man, I don't think she's ever going to want to do this again. She ends up doing it again. She ends up winning. She won so many tournaments where she beat all these boys. But if she would have quit on that first experience, she would have never gotten as good as she did. You know, then she ended up wrestling and one wrestling uh, tournament. Her first two, her, her first two tournaments or her first tournament, she got pinned by everyone. Her second tournament, she got pinned by everyone, but pinned one person. And then she started learning how to transfer her MMA skills. She was, yeah. you know, into MMA, jujitsu, judo and all that into wrestling. Like you can never, you know, you can't end up on your back in wrestling where right. in MMA you can. And then I remember we went to one tournament, my high school buddy, Brian Googerty, who I wrestled with in high school, we were, we were on the wrestling team. We go to see little Jasmine. Jasmine's the only girl in this whole tournament. It's a, it's a boys yeah. tournament, but her weight class, they didn't have anyone. So they put her in. She's the only person on her team to win first place. She pinned every opponent except for maybe one, but she dominated every opponent, pinned almost every opponent. She's the only person on her team to get first place. It clicked. This is how I transfer wow. these skills over to wrestling. And me and my buddy Brian are going crazy. Go jazz. Yeah. We're like going nuts. So the life lesson here. The, you're going to suck at first. Anything you do, you're going to suck. Talent doesn't exist. I think that talent is the most overplayed. Like, yeah, you can be born with certain genetics where you can jump higher and this and that. But when it comes to skill sets, talent is overrated. Come on. The person who wins bullfighting is the person that, I mean, uh, bull riding. Like when you go to, they asked this guy once, they said, they said, what do you do? Who do, who do you think is going to win? Like, who's your competition? You're one of the best bull riders out here. He said, whoever rides the most bulls during the season is who wins period. Yeah. He's like, there's no, who's the strongest. Who's got the best technique. You get on the most bulls without dying <laughs> throughout the preseason. You win the season. You win the, you win the tournament. Uh, you look at Kobe. Kobe's the best basketball player. He said it himself. He doesn't have the biggest hands to palm a ball. He doesn't have the highest vertical. He's not the strongest guy. He's not the tallest guy. 
All he did was do one extra practice. Yep. Everyone else, everyone else did one or two. He did three. He said, at first, you don't notice any major difference. Kobe's just like us. Do that for a year. And he's got this extra two hours of practice every day for a year. Do that for five years. No one can catch up. There's not enough hours in a day for you to ever catch up to the amount of skills he's accumulated. And most people stop when the going gets tough or they suck. Am three, I right? Three feet from gold. Three yeah. feet from gold. Yeah. Three feet from gold. My, my buddy, my buddy, Greg Reed uh, wrote that book. And that's where most people stop is three feet from gold. Yes. The only common denominator between successful people. Uh, they, they figure that out and think and grow rich. They, yep. he interviewed all the most successful yep. people. All right. IQ. Is it education? Is it family background? Is it if you came from money? None of that mattered. All that mattered was if you were persistent enough to make it until you succeeded. That's it. You fast forward. Greg Reed becomes the modern day Napoleon Hill. He writes a book called Three Feet from Gold. Yep. And then he writes a book called Stickability. He gets the same letter from the Napoleon Hill Foundation, which gives him access to interview the, uh, you know, the Steve Wozniak's and the, and the Truitts, you know, founder of, of, uh, Chick-fil-A and all these really successful people that he would never back then would have never get to meet. Now he meets them all the time and I get to meet him through him at his events. It's, it's amazing. But, same thing. He does all the research and comes to the same conclusion. Same That's why he wrote the book stickability. Stickability was just a really cool word that yeah. he made up that just meant like you stick with it. You keep going. You stay focused on the goal. It'll happen. Yes. You don't need the education for that. You don't need the talent for that. You've, you've said it. Perseverance. Keep going no matter what, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to we're going to land this. We're done. And you're not because you got to get to your. Oh, event. yeah. You gotta get Shit. To, he's got to go to the fighter interviews. Yeah. So this was fire, though. It was. bro. <laughs> I want to keep going, bro. You're on a roll. This uh, is great, bro. What? So final message. Perseverance. Keep going no matter what. Yeah. Picture that person who you want to be and start becoming it. And don't worry about like. All the details like, well, I don't know if I want to put down this car or this house, because what if I change my mind? Change it on the regular. You're going to add stuff and subtract stuff all the time as you grow. There's there's goals that I'm going to have in five years that I don't even know it's a thing right now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't even know it's a thing. Like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Uh, we didn't even talk about the island that I'm buying in Belize. I'm like in the process of buying an island. But like buying that one little island is so cool. But in the future, I might be wanting to buy castles. Castles on islands, yeah. or I might be wanting to do like something completely different. So update it all the time, but just put stuff in there. Yeah. So as you start to focus on it and feel it, realize that it's really important for you to accomplish that because that's going to build the confidence. That's right. Yeah. Stack the wins, right? Stack the wins. Stack the wins. The Stack mini it. wins. Mm -hmm. I'll walk tomorrow. I'll walk a little bit more. I'll jog. Yep. Stack exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to contact 10 people today. That's it. Tomorrow I can go for 20, but today's just 10. Oh, dude, this was incredible. That Real Deal Sleep, ladies and gentlemen, paying the bill. So if you want to support the show, remember Real Deal Sleep. Come purchase a mattress sleep system. I already sized Jason up for one pr prior to the interview. Oh, yeah. You know I'm getting one. Come on now. Sleep is important. Sleep is very important. Number one. Yeah. It's the foundation of health and wellness. You do more sleeping than you do anything. Anything. So, 25 God. years of your life, you're going to be in that bed. 25 years. I'm glad years. we met before I bought the bed. I was telling him, I bought the massage chair at the Del Mar Fair. And I was like, if you could give me zero down, I'll buy the bed too. And they're like, you got to put a little bit down. I'm like, nah, give me the zero down on everything. Free money, ladies and gentlemen. Entrepreneurs, we understand when you offer us free money, zero <laughs> zero percent interest, it's like, someone offers you zero interest on something that you want and that you're going to use. That's going to help you. Take it. Who, it. who are these ballers? Like, no, I'll just pay cash. There's no fees. There's no stupid. nothing. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. You have other stuff that you could pay cash for because they're going to charge you fees. That's right. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Stewart, epic fighting, epic interview, epic podcast. Dude, we rocked this. That was straight fire. We got we to gotta get you to the weigh-in now. Yeah. Uh, real deal talk, Jason. We'll see you at the fights, bro. It's been an honor, dude. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you for sharing your time. Yeah. Let's go. Real deal Thank talk. Thank you for having us. That's a wrap. Uh, let's go. Uh. Woo!